Hey everybody, welcome back to Pretend World's Real People. As always, my name is Tyler, and uh, if you didn't notice, it is March of 2022 already. How How, how is it March? There, there's a deeper reason for why I'm so flabbergasted as to how this year is going by so fast. I'm turning 30 in two months. How... I don't even know how to navigate that. What 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 is there? I feel like I'm just now getting into my own zone. I'm becoming who I who have wanted to become, and <laughs> it's scary. I'm turning thirty already. I know it's not a crazy birthday, but I I don't know. I, I'm still having uh, not anxiety, but just wondering. You know how how can I shed the? Uh, I should have done this by the time I was thirty. I should have done that by the time I was thirty. I'm just trying to shed all that out. I don't know. I don't know how to do it. I think I found one way, though. I'm just going to focus on this podcast for sure, in addition to hopefully more uh, self-tapes that I can accrue over the next couple of weeks. I'm just going to have fun with it. I've written down so many plans for this podcast for this summer, and there's something really big that's coming up soon. I won't tell you about yet, but I'm so freaking excited for it. It's going to be amazing, everybody. I won't spoil it. Uh, it does involve some some past guests, some new guests. I'm just getting all the logistics out of the way, but it's going to be a freaking ride. Well, without any more of a delay, let's get into this week's episode. I want to ask you, where in the world is Natasha Walford? That's the question that we are going to answer in this episode. She is an Australian producer, filmmaker, writer, and assistant director that is currently working on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and worked on Peacemaker up in Canada when they were in production. Her story alone is incredible. Going from, from Australia and then just basically trekking the globe to build her career to end up where she is now, and that's not even... That's not the end game. She has so much more planned. Oh, my God. She's super cool. Um, I'm very lucky... To hopefully call her a new buddy because she is just uh she's awesome she works like crazy and given all that i had to ask her you know what are some of your comfort shows uh what was covid like what is it planning a a future in a career like this like what what are your what are your goals what are your dreams and she has a lot of them and she's going to accomplish every single one of them so without further ado Let's sit down and talk with Natasha Walford. My name is Natasha Walford, and I am currently um, a producer, director's assistant on Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And I'm also a producer, writer, and assistant director. So you do everything, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> like, like most in this industry. <laughs> I, I'm curious, like, how did you... How did you get started? What what was your uh, your point of inception to say, okay, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. Um, well, growing up, you know, most of my favorite childhood memories have always been um, using you know the family's camcord and kind of bossing around my neighbors to do certain productions, whether it be you know renditions of kids shows or the news or anything like that. So I kind of luckily always knew what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I wanted to be involved in the entertainment industries in some capacity. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 16, I started university and um, straight away, I was just signing up for any type of internship program I could and always kind of bugging my uh, university professors um, to see if they had any jobs I could do for them. And from there in university, I started my own little production company. And uh, that was really great. We got to kind of produce and make a lot of social media marketing. And um, uh, we we were involved a lot in creating music festivals and cinematic um, theatrical productions. And I was able to find a mentor, Troy Armstrong, in that process. And through that, um, you know, I kind of, left university and decided to pursue a career full-time um, and I wasn't really happy at how fast my career was progressing um, within Australia because we are kind of so limited there um, and you have to use your skill set quite transferably um, so you know I was alternating my time between the music industry and 
live events, which I loved, but I always knew my heart was in film. So I decided to branch out and move to Canada where I you know, got lucky and became an assistant director um, straight off the bat pretty much. And uh, from there, I you know, worked on a lot of features and different film and television shows. And then, um, sorry, I'm just gonna take a sip of water. That is the biggest joke of art I've ever seen. I know. <laughs> Honestly, everyone on set has been making fun of me for it, but it does the job. Oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's amazing. Sorry. Go. No, no. Go. Um, yeah. So then I, um, you know, found myself on Peacemaker, which I was so excited to be a part of, um, you know, because I obviously knew who James Gunn was and Lars Winther and Simon Hatt, who are all people that I've admired for some time. And uh, I actually started as an assistant director on that and got the opportunity to move to America and become an assistant to Simon and James Gunn through that. And here I am. Wow. So you have traversed the globe, essentially, to exactly. get where you are. <laughs> That's uh, it, yeah. We've heard very little about you know, what it's like working in film and TV in, in Australia. Could you dig into that a little bit? I know I've heard from interviews with Hugh Jackman about this, you know, very sort of limited space that you have to kind of grow in that industry. What was it like kind of just making the jump and saying, I'm, I'm going to Canada instead of say going to Los Angeles? Right. So, I mean, the film and television industry in Australia is amazing. There are so many talented people there. Um, but unfortunately, you find a lot of us, you know, searching for work internationally because there just isn't the infrastructure in Australia hmm. to really... Um, build a career of significance at the rate a lot of us are hoping to build it. Um, I mean, there are so many fantastic programs, but overall, there just isn't enough work. It's very feast or famine. Um, so, you know, I mentioned working in that production industry, um, that production company that I created, and we were, you know, ultimately quite successful within the realms of our community in Brisbane and the Gold Coast. Um, but I kind of felt like there was a bit of a roadblock and I was like, mm, I'm, I don't feel like I'm advancing at the pace that I want to and that I'm comfortable with. Um, so like a lot of my colleagues and alumni, we've all, you know, moved to London or moved to Vancouver. And that came about as opposed to Los Angeles. It's a lot easier for Australian citizens within a certain age demographic to get visas in other Commonwealth countries. Um, so, you know, it was a toss up between London and Vancouver and my heart for whatever reason decided Vancouver. And um, yeah, that's how I got over into the Northern hemisphere. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it's a real shame. Like I hope, you know, one of my main goals is to really cultivate uh, more opportunities for Australians in our home nation because you know, it's a pity that we can't have the same opportunity there. And a lot of that, I think, comes from, you know, you know, government funding and incentives and things like that. Yeah. Um, we're starting to see some progress in that in that area. But yeah, unfortunately, just not fast enough. It seems that way. And hence the uh, the sort of Australian unicorns we have coming to, you know, Los Angeles, at, you know, the the Russell Crows and and the Baz Luhrmanns who were just sort of, you know, uh, expanding on that. But that's that's just crazy. Cause I have I usually hear you know, hey, I, I went to Los Angeles and I looked at my car for you and I tried that out. Was there a lot of struggle once you, you know, sort of landed in Canada, or did it seem like it was a, a pretty strange? Because you had a whole you know uh, a portfolio of work behind you. So what was it like just transferring right into Canada? Was it kind of a you know couple of years of struggle, or did it feel like you were just jumped right into the machine from the from the get go? Uh, no, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was pretty rough. Um, okay. You know, I packed up a suitcase. I had one suitcase with me and I didn't really know anyone in Canada at all, particularly in the industry. Um, and before I took off, you know, I was working three jobs, just trying to make sure that I had a little bit of extra cash flow when I got there. Mm -hmm. um, and luckily enough, I actually worked on this uh, arts festival um, a couple of years back. And in the speakeasy I was working in a few weeks before I left for Canada, uh, these 
flamboyant uh, burlesque queens and acrobat <laughs> came waltzing into this bar and their producers were with them and they remembered me and they were like, Natasha, you know, what, what's your plans for the next couple of months? And I told them I was moving to Canada and this um, amazing producer told me that she knew someone from 10 years earlier who worked on the Montreal Comedy Film Festival. And she's like, look, I know it's not film, but here's his email address. I'm not sure if it's still active, but, you know, reach out to him and see if he's got any work going. And I was like, thank you so much. It's amazing. Um, so I got to Canada. I was living in a, what they call a nano studio, um, <laughs> which is uh, enough room for a twin size blow up mattress. And that's about it. Um, so I was living there and I had my suitcase propped up as like a, a television stand and I bought a $10 TV off Facebook marketplace. And so I was living like that for a couple of months working as a host at a restaurant. And, uh, you know, I reached out to this, this email address and I didn't hear anything back. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll just search Facebook pages and look out for productions on the street. And, uh, you know, eventually I got an email back and, he gave me a list of different people in the creative fields and one of them was the first AD, uh, Dale Bredson. And so I reached out to him and he had a role as a, for a trainee assistant director coming up on a indie production. And so I went in and I was very honest. I said, look, you know, my expertise are definitely in associate producing, um, but I feel like a lot of those skill sets are transferable. Um, and so I ended up you know getting the job and from that moment I was working you know 18 to 20 hours a day day in day out on weekends um you know I was meeting crew members who were doing short films and things like that so I would volunteer my time on those and just made sure that I always had another job lined up and you know by the end of my experience in Canada it took within like about two years to really establish myself there um but by that point you know I'd moved into a much larger apartment and <laughs> and you know had a, a huge community behind me and so yeah the first few months there you know the first six months or so I'm not gonna lie it was it was super tough not knowing anyone not knowing you know the terminology on set oh yeah um, it's quite different to back home um also just the structure and the hierarchy can be quite different as well um and I've even learned that coming from or going from Canada to America, like there are a lot of major differences, but the main thing is like the fundamentals. If you understand the fundamentals, then you can make it happen anywhere. So yeah, no, it's a, it's been quite a journey. I mean, that's the textbook journey, right? You don't <laughs> expect to, to make it day one when you land somewhere. So like you said, nano studio, right. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, right. that was <laughs> that was starting artists at one point, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly, but now I mean, it looks like you're you're living fairly comfortably, and now that you moved to America, and it seems like you have a, a pretty good, you know, just job position set up here for now. Working, you know, with with James in the studio. What's your? Uh, I don't want to ask what your what your end game is, but do you want to keep with the? sort of the AD work or do you want to stick with with James what's what's your ultimate position that you want to reach when it comes to filmmaking uh so ultimately I really you know see myself long term being a creative producer um and I definitely hope to stick you know with James and his team um and you know that's people like Lars Winther who is arguably in my opinion definitely one of the best uh producer assistant directors in the business um, Simon Hatt, who is also, you know, one of my bosses, um, who is an executive producer, and, you know, James, of course, himself, uh, just because there's a really unique uh, synergy between James's team, and that's something that I really want to be a part of, and I feel like I have so much to learn from, um, but I'm also, you know, I work with a few other writers and producers, you know, doing, you know, my side thing, um, and, uh, Emsley Atisha, who is one of my good friends who I met in Canada, we are currently developing a few scripts um, and sourcing funding right now. Um, so I, I hope to, you know, be involved in the indie world as well. I have to ask, what what do you write? What's your do you have a genre in mind, or do you write a little bit of everything? It's yeah, it's pretty miscellaneous, if I'm going to be honest. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I definitely. And the type of person who, you know, people feel comfortable sending me their scripts and I'll go over it. And if I find something that, you know, it, it, within an outline that I think has potential or is a story that really needs to be told, um, instantly, you know, 
you know, the, the light bulb goes off and I'll, I'll sit down with this person and we'll start, you know, writing together and um, collaborating and developing something there. So at the moment, what we have in the works is um, it's kind of like, a, I don't know, it's kind of like a coming of age story, but it's really ultimately a commentary on the different perspectives of feminism and how that, you know, comes about in the average woman's life day in, day out. Um, so it's kind of like a dramedy, essentially. And then there's also, you know, I work on a few sci-fi projects as well, sci-fi projects, um, <laughs> which is based on my um, previous experience in film in Canada and America. That's totally my alley. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's been really interesting as well. It's a lot of like AI and, um, you know, it also touches based on kind of like a Truman Show aspect as well, which is really exciting. So really? Yeah, a couple of things in development. Wow. I, I, how do you even have the, the time for that? I, I, especially with you working on Guardians 3 right now, are you putting a kibosh on that for now? Or do you scour out a, like an hour or so out of each day to try no, and get some of that done? It is difficult. I mean, you know, my major focus is, you know, Simon and James um, and being, you know, as much of a right-hand person as I can be. Um, so that's definitely my priority, um, you know, during Christmas hiatus or on my weekends, that's when I find myself, you know, once I've done my research and, and everything for the next week ahead, that's when I kind of find a little moment to, you know, give my friends a call and, and touch base and discuss how we're moving along. So, yeah, well, that's definitely something that's come up, uh, with this podcast starting during COVID was, you know, what, what sort of keeps you sane when mm -hmm. you're not working your day job. So, I mean, outside of it seems like you are somebody who can balance so many projects at once that I'm sure your brain is just, it, it goes a little crazy. Uh, Cause I know mine does too, but do you have anything that sort of keeps you sane or, or meditative? It could just be Netflixing, you know, just right. something that sort of helps you calm down a little bit. Um, well, it's really interesting. I learned um, a lot about myself during the pandemic um, as I'm sure many of people had that same journey um, but basically, you know, when everything shut down and I didn't have my mind and attention drawn in a million different directions, that's when I kind of felt completely at my lowest. I was like, you know, I, I learned that in order for me to be happy or productive, it, I need to have, you know, my hands in multiple different, you know, pies essentially. So, um, my downtime usually consists of listening to podcasts about the industry, um, including your own. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and also, you know, um, researching uh, shows that are coming into development that have, you know, reached my desk. Um, you know, going over scripts of films that I previously loved. But, you know, I am a normal human being as well in the sense that I do like to, uh, you know, quiet the mind from time to time and that usually involves you know going to jazz shows or you know comedy shows just anything within the creative world um and at the moment I'm binging um Pam and Tommy on Hulu I believe uh, have you heard of that show I just watched the first episode and I had to okay. stop it was like three in the morning I said I, I can't keep going I have to wait <laughs> and watch <laughs> Is it does I mean it the first episode was amazing, but I assume it just keeps getting right. better and better. I mean, every episode for me has like a different feel ultimately. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like episode two was was quite strange in my experience, like the way I interpreted it. Um, but then episode three, I was right back on board. So I don't know. The nostalgic factor of it all is something that really draws me in um to any piece of content I'm consuming. So I, I love that. Um and I I'm a bit of a creature of habit and I'm always re-watching Seinfeld and Sex and the City. That's my go-to. Very, <laughs> very different shows. <laughs> I know. It's all what about balance. What is it about uh, those two shows that, that just, is it the nostalgia factor or is there something else that ties you to, to those programs? I think so. Um, yeah. I feel like I've definitely been conditioned a little bit by Sex and the City in the sense that like, you know, I totally see myself someday living in New York and, you know, indulging in this, you know, stylish kind of um, fun, outgoing uh, lifestyle. And I don't know, although that, 
that New York doesn't exist anymore. It's something that I like to see myself doing. Um, and then with Seinfeld, that was one of the shows that my mom used to wake me up to watch when I was a little girl. Um, no way. So, yeah, no, she was Seinfeld's on. So, you know, I'd wake up and, and get really excited. And obviously I didn't really understand <laughs> back then, but it just gets better with age. I, I can't fault it. I love Seinfeld, so. That's such a crazy show to wake your child up to watch. You know, like with my yeah. mom, it was The X-Files, which I'm oh, sure right. is also just ridiculous. But you'd think it was, uh, I don't know, Step by Step or Seventh Heaven or something, you know, just, right. <laughs> hey, Costanza's on. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> my favorite. Um, I feel like X-Files would have been a little bit traumatizing almost, though. Uh, you know, ironically enough <laughs> the x-files i've been completely fine with except for there's a the part in the the title credits where this man is sort of screaming and his his oh, face God. is spinning right. that still freaks me out but i think it was watching the leprechaun at four years old that really threw me off because it was just on tv and i had no idea what was happening so <laughs> for a while i just i thought leprechauns were real um oh my God. Oh but no. yeah yeah the x-files if anything it just said it showed me hey you know you're a serial tv fan <laughs> you're gonna love yeah. this uh what about you know horror movies or you know like darker sci-fi are you uh, into those or even writing those stories as well uh i'm totally open to it uh, a great place for horror uh development is actually vancouver Amongst the creative community there, there are so many people who are really into that genre specifically. Um, and it's something that I'm, I'm totally open to. Um, as a teenager, like 14 to 16, all I would do is binge watch uh, like horror films. One that I used to watch consistently before I went to bed was um, Prom Queen, or Prom Night, sorry. Oh, with... Um, um uh jamie lee right no not the original the uh oh the britney snow the britney snow one. Yeah. <laughs> i don't know why but it was so comforting to me i loved it um and i think we're in a new era of horror you know um that is i don't know it's such a different you know there's that corny kind of horror that we we grew up with in the 80s and the 90s yeah. and things like that and now with like a24 the new genre of horror, it's a lot more psychological, I find. And that's something that I would totally be interested in. It almost sticks with you more, right? Even the trailers yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah. It's not so, it's like more unnervy. I find myself like kind of processing it for at least three days after. Even like things like Black Mirror, to me, that's totally a horror genre. And yeah. that's the type of show I would have to, you know, watch one episode a week or every two weeks because I just had to let my mind process it and <laughs> come to terms with it and then assess it so it's that overwhelming feeling of dread instead of just hey stab 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 blood it's right you're gonna have a hard time sleeping so <laughs> it hits so close to home I mean I feel like it taps into these fears that I feel like we're a little bit desensitized to the gore and the yeah. slashes and uh you know that element of like technology is taking over it's something that we all kind of feel a little bit worried about you know so um as it seeps more and more into our day-to-day -day life so yeah I think that's that's really interesting and yeah. uh, something that's on the forefront of you know audiences minds at the moment is there outside of prom night is there a movie that you can you can watch now but maybe once every couple of years because it is that impactful for you hmm uh if there is one yeah I'm trying to think um I think, uh, funnily enough, um, one of the films I loved a lot as a child was Matilda. Um, oh. And I don't get to watch it as much anymore because I'm an adult and it's not really, <laughs> you know, something that I watch for, for work purposes or entertainment. But th <laughs> there is something that, like, it evokes in me that I remember watching as a child, um, which kind of becomes a little bit sad <laughs> in a way for me. The fact that I kind of related to this character so much as an outsider and someone who saw the world very differently and was kind of misunderstood. Um, that is a film that when I watched, when I was a child, it made me very happy. And now it kind of makes me a little bit sad. Um, but at the same time, you know, it has a very beautiful happy ending. And uh, so that's comforting because I, I can also relate to that. Wow, that's actually a great selection. I can't tell you the last time I even saw Matilda, but the the 
repressed memories that come back are always, yeah, it's, you don't watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And you don't realize the impact it has um, until you rewatch it, you know? So. Oh, totally. There's, there's a, a series of movies that came out during that time. I think our whole generation is a little, you know, more connected to than we should be. <laughs> right. That <laughs> and hereditary, ways. of course. That's oh my God. Uh, I uh, I can't tell you of any other theater experience where all of us were just sitting there while Tony Collette is wailing for 10 minutes straight. Right. Where we're just looking at each other like, is this going to stop? Should we stop? Should we go? <laughs> right. It's really uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, that hereditary is is a lot. But I mean, based on how you know, you remember Matilda and how that stuck with you. I'd say it's not hard pressed to assume maybe you could write something similar to that, you know, and develop a, a movie that has that impact as well. I mean, have you ever thought about going into adaptations as well, or are you sticking to, to solely original work? Um, I feel like, you know, we're, we're definitely riding this wave of adaptations right now. Um, and it's everywhere. And as much as I love it, I love that nostalgic factor, um, as we've mentioned, I think there needs to be a space and consideration for original content. Mm. Um, And I feel like a lot of promising young screenwriters are kind of being uh, really disheartened by the fact that we keep going back and like sourcing from old material. Um, And there's so many stories to be told and there's so many that have been overlooked in favor for you know the almost guaranteed profit of adaptations um so going back to you know basics and finding people who have a story to tell I think ultimately that's where I see my career going and and is picking those original those original stories especially because you know we're creating these adaptations and we're including more diverse casts and perspectives and things like that which is fantastic but there are people you know screenwriters who are genuinely telling their story um from a perspective of a minority mm-hmm. and um it's a little bit more genuine to that experience and a lot of those stories aren't being told organically and i think that's really important as well that we make space for that yeah i i will admit you know i have 10 plus scripts that are just sitting on my hard drive uh, that have been sent yeah throughout and it's it is really you know it is disheartening that to hear from news outlets that oh yeah the the spec script is dead or you know Mm -hmm. we we want something that's a guaranteed ip but you know it's really cool where you're at because you do have you know uh other eyes that you know in the future maybe in in your downtime could offer some uh, some sort of advice or critiques to your to your work, like James or Simon, mm-hmm. uh, who have built their careers on being completely obscure and doing yeah. things outside of the norm. And now that that is being so welcomed and, and, and brought in, I think it's one of the most beautiful parts of you know, James making Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with all that being said, do you feel like there's, uh, I don't want to say there's more of a sort of backup to uh, up and coming screenwriters now than there were before, but it seems like there's, I don't know, there, there's a growing acceptance of that sort of obscure perspective. Would, would you agree with that? Or is that something that's, you know, might be 50 50? No, I, I totally agree with that. I think, uh, I don't know, that the unique thing about James's concept is it's, it's very much, you know, surface level people would be if they hadn't watched James's previous work or anything like that and they see you know oh another superhero show or another superhero movie you kind of assume that it's going to be you know something that fits into the the format um as many of the other versions do you know a lot of them are quite similar in the way that they're told um but then (laughs) you go in and it's completely unique it's completely you know, emotional and and chaotic, and you can identify it as a James Gunn piece of work. Um, and I think you know we see that in other directors like um, Taika. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and they're really kind of, I think, uh, the modern day kind of um, or the the future kind of 
aspiring directors and producers can look at and be like, you know, I don't have to conform necessarily. I can bring my own unique taste into something in a commercial space and it be acknowledged and praised and understood, you know. Something about Taika that I really admire is that, you know, he's from New Zealand and so um, his sense of humour is something that I totally understand. I grew up with a lot of Māori people in my life. My best friends, a lot of them are Māori people and, uh, you know, their sense of humour is one of the funniest, you know, across the globe. And I always thought, you know, it's so niche to that, portion of the world it would be really difficult to communicate that on a global scale but Taika does that so seamlessly in his work in you know productions that are made by you know Marvel which is crazy to me I think that that's so admirable um so I totally feel like there is a lot of space for the next um big thing to be you know unique and true to your brand you hit the nail on the head bringing up Taika he's (laughs) (laughs) it's it's weird to see that it's almost like British comedy when British comedy, right. at least from my perspective, came, you know, over to the the, the, the West and the US, a lot of people still to this day do not appreciate it because they can't wrap their head around uh, what they deem as alternative comedy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what everyone else sees is just genuine comedic talent. So it's, right. it's really cool to see that also being welcomed, you know, him going from uh boy and what we do in the shadows to you know directing like you said marvel movies and having his take on it is insane thor ragnarok was one of the funniest and still is one of the funniest movies i've i've seen oh because of those bits (laughs) yeah exactly exactly how how are you writing comedy now that now that we we've brought up comedy i need to ask do you find it really challenging or are you just quick-witted with the keyboard you're like oh yeah i have have that that joke and dialogue set um it's it is difficult I feel like um I like to crack a lot of jokes in my day-to-day and uh you know it is funny because you know working on set in Canada and America like our senses of human humor like you mentioned is quite different to the outside of the world um and I feel like it takes a long time for people to understand my (laughs) sense of humor um <laughs> I don't know if it's the accent or my delivery or what it is but I'm always cracking jokes whether people get it or not um <laughs> but writing that into scripts is uh I don't know I I always envision it as it's playing out um mm. and so articulating that in 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 dialogue is something that I I hope I do well um I'm always looking for feedback on it but I I do like to incorporate that element as much as possible um and I think you know, as long as you write it in there and then you have a director that understands the humor and communicates that to the actor, then, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward and it's something that um, you just need to trust your team. You know what I mean? You, you make sure you hire a director who understands the script as well as they need to. So the water bottle you brought up earlier was not part of a joke, right? <laughs> I was I was hoping that you know if things got awkward I could just rip it out and the topic. So it, it was it was sort of akin to when Christoph Waltz removes that giant pipe in Inglorious Bastards and it's just oh, so yeah. big for his pocket that <laughs> thought, well I think I think this is a choice and it's working. So <laughs> that's no. yeah, that's that's so true because there's a lot of at least uh directors in uh, contemporary cinema and contemporary comedy that don't quite understand what their writers are making. So it comes off as this sort of lame duck joke that just doesn't hit Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of the mainstream stuff. And there's a myriad of video essays that cover that, why, you know, uh, British or, you know, Kiwi humor is so much more outlandish and actually works better than, you know, American humor. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I do wonder with your writing process as well and I asked a a few writers this also when you're sitting down to write a script uh there are a couple different ways you could do it but my way is essentially just bleeding over a dry erase board maybe a few of them and then going into an outline but some like to just go bullet point by bullet bullet point into an outline what's your sort of uh, approach to it is it chaotic or is it more of a structured approach uh it depends um you know if I Sometimes if I've been neglecting it too much, I will, you know, schedule it and I'll throughout the week give myself a few dot points if I have an idea 
and um, I'll create like a little bit of an outline off of that. Oh, cool. And so I can remember where my headspace is at when I'm having those thoughts. And then I take that structure and then I go crazy. Um, so then I'll just start, <laughs> you know, typing all these different things and I'll be like, oh, and this should be playing in the background and, and we should actually have like, and I'll write in camera direction as well. Um, and it's kind of just, you know, a chaotic document. <laughs> and uh, from that, I will then go back and kind of categorize it and organize it and, you know, uh, format it so it, it makes sense and is <laughs> digestible. Um, and also like one of my favorite things to do because a lot of my works are collaborations um, is to, you know, set up a little writing session. Um, my mentor, Troy Armstrong, who I, I mentioned previously, who was one of my university professors, he would often, you know, grab a group of budding writers and filmmakers and we would go to like a really great park bench um, overlooking the beach and we would sit down and he would kind of give us these tools to learn how to, um, you know, uh, generate conversations as if we were in a writer's room. Um, wow. And that was super beneficial to me. So I really try and incorporate that in my process today where I'll, you know, go to a friend's house and we'll put on some good music and, you know, some uh, essential oils diffusing and kind of create a, an environment where it feels like we're relaxing, we're having a good time and we're going to just start talking about things and we'll be like, okay, let's, let's get our pen and paper and let's start writing this down. And I feel like when you have a soundboard like that to jump ideas off as well, um, uh, you can be on two completely different pages. Um, and then through that process, kind of take the strengths from both, uh, you know, perspectives and streamline it into something fantastic. So that's part of my process that I really enjoy also. That's really badass. I don't think a lot of people have, you, when you think about collaborate, at least <laughs> when I collaborate with another writer, we just meet at a coffee shop or we're right. in a living room and it's it's relaxing, but it's not just I mean, essential oils and music. That's the most <laughs> relaxing way. Extra. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm willing to try it. I mean, my, right. I might have to tell my partner, like, hey man, <laughs> uh, peppermint's going to smell, you know, throughout the house, but it's going to be great. Uh, that's, in, that's incredible. Have you noticed that, uh, I guess an increased rate of progress with being that relaxed or was it kind oh, of distracting totally. at first? Oh, really? No, I, for me anyway, I mean, I feel like my, you know, um, my other writers and, and producer friends feel it's beneficial because then from that one meeting, um, we can go off and we know where the other's mind's at. Um, and so from there, we can go home and we can just do our, our, our regular process individually. Um, but it helps just, you know, recreate that synergy so it's not completely, okay, here's my side, here's my side. Oh, wait, we're on different pages here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it's not like a every time I write kind of thing, but I feel like it definitely benefits us. Yeah, it seems like it, it sets more of that workshop or uh, yeah. where it's, you know, hey, we're just here to throw out ideas and see what what sticks, what lands, what, you know, uh, what might work for us. That's, I'm gonna have to try that. That's really exciting. So I never thought about that before. Uh, you're almost seducing your writing partners. Uh, <laughs> I do want to, to pivot into, you know, uh, I guess still sticking with your, your writing, but is that something that you'd like to bring over into, I know Peacemaker was, was renewed for season two, James mm -hmm. is working on a bunch of other projects. Is that sort of in the forefront of your mind of possibly throwing your hat in the ring with, with some of James projects or would you like to sort of stick with your own and, and build stuff from, uh, from a different standpoint? Uh, you know, I am so in awe every day that I have the opportunity to work with James. Mm -hmm. um, I, told him this story the other day, actually, you know, where I grew up on the Gold Coast, um, we have Warner Brothers Studios, um, uh, like a Village Roadshow Studios, which is attached to Warner Brothers Movie World. Oh, and cool. as a kid, I love Scooby-Doo 1 and 2. And, you know, of course, James had like a huge role in both of those films. Um, and my favorite roller coaster as a little girl was the Scooby-Doo coaster. And, the fact that I work every day with the human whose brain that came from um, is, is just so incredible to me. And so, you know, I have a lot of admiration for the way James works and the teams he creates around him. So 
ultimately I hope to stay on board with him and Simon as long as possible. Um, and I really do see potential for my career to grow through that. And at the moment, I'm still relatively new to this assistant position. I was actually, uh, you know, an AD on, on Peacemaker and then yeah. got offered the position as his assistant and as Simon's assistant. So um, along with Samina Munns, who I work very closely as well. Um, and, you know, they're so open to involving us in the process. Um, you know, on the occasion, we'll be required to ask, they'll ask us, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Things like that. And just learning, you know, how to um, take a film from conceptualization through to pre-production, to production, to post on this scale um, is something that, you know, I feel like every day I'm learning and evolving and um, I feel like, yeah, there's eventually I hope to have a little bit more um, leeway in, in the development process. And um, I think that is, something that you know excites me every day to be involved in that so I I'm looking forward to particularly Peacemaker season two I know you had Spencer on the show recently yeah um he is such a class act like he is one of the <laughs> nicest human beings I've ever met he's so professional everyone on set loves that kid and uh, I really enjoyed his podcast actually it was really great listening to but you know getting the old band back together and and working on that um in this current role I'm, I'm totally excited to to be a part of that process that's so cool. And the fact that you get to work with, uh, for lack of a better word, your your childhood hero or one of your childhood heroes, right? you know, it, who isn't, you know, they always say never meet your heroes because bad stuff happens. But, you know, he seems like such a genuine and, and humble artist that, uh, you know, you're in the perfect spot to sort of build a sort of mentorship, but also learn, you know, from everybody else in the process because they, they keep a, a tight knit ship, it seems like, right? right? Oh, That's absolutely. And going incredible. back to the humor element as well, like um, yeah. we were discussing, you know, as, as long as the, the director understands the, the, the writer's thoughts, um, you know, for a lot of James's projects, he's, he's the writer and the director. So, you know, his sense of humor, there's so many layers to it, in, in, especially in Peacemaker. I mean, there's the jokes that are kind of like very in your face and crude, but then there's also like these deep political, you know, um, points and humor. And, and that's something that is just masterful to me so um you know <laughs> they say never meet your heroes but it's only been every time I've met one of mine it's been nothing but greatness so oh that's amazing I, I think it. I recommend it uh, yeah that's <laughs> don't be scared to meet your heroes just you know don't freak out on them I think that's the <laughs> <laughs> biggest yeah, key play cool, play cool. <laughs> yeah yeah they're, they're just people I'm not sweating it's fine <laughs> what is your day-to-day -day like now that you're working on Guardians 3 I know you guys are probably just swamped you said you know it's getting hotter in Atlanta too so it's just longer days in the humid heat uh what is your day-to-day -day like now working on that production is it Monday through Friday or are you basically on call on the weekends as well um well I must give a shout out to James and Lars for always keeping the day usually 10 hours um oh, wow. pretty consistently so that's <laughs> A blessing for those of us who work <laughs> on set know that it can be anywhere up to like 18 hour days so I mean that's a that's a huge plus but it's it's been so much fun um I don't know that because this is the third the third volume um you know a lot of the crew and cast have been on it for the the whole three um projects so uh it's coming into that atmosphere was a little bit daunting at first, but everyone's been so welcoming and fantastic. Um, but my day-to-day -day usually involves, you know, getting to set, um, making sure everyone's set up accordingly and uh, checking in with, you know, each department, um, whether it be visual effects or previs or, you know, the post supervisors and just basically getting all of the information um, that is trying to get to the producers and James and just funneling that down and then prioritizing it. Um, and then it's also, you know, reviewing cuts and, um, you know, just uh, making sure that we're at where we need to be and um, taking notes and things like that. So also a lot of like, um, dealing with publicity and, and the reps and things like that, um, touching base to, you know, the publicists, um, 
usually it's funny because we're usually working on multiple projects at a time. Now Peacemaker has wrapped. We are just on, you know, Guardians, <laughs> which is <laughs> for the first time since I've worked for James, it's only been the, the one project. So that's super refreshing, but also just researching, you know, different things that are coming across the desk and making sure that I'm well-versed in those projects um, in case they come to fruition. So yeah, that's kind of my day to day at the moment. Um, and, you know, on the weekend, sometimes we'll do interviews or things like that. So yeah, it's, it's pretty fun, but I'm the type of assistant. I feel like um, it varies from mm. for every different person, different production, different boss. Um, but I'm a set creature. I love being on set. <laughs> um, I love the, the highs, the lows, the feeling of being in the trenches and, and the camaraderie and the shared experience. So I'm someone who's always, you know, within ears reach of, of, of the team. Um, and I like to work from set mostly. So, uh, that's, that's, I feel like there's so much to learn there. And in order to be a great writer and producer, I think it's so important to have a fundamental, you know, understanding of how each department works and how they all work together. I mean, if you're familiar with set, you see like the chaos of the setups and this person going this way. And it's, to me, I just sit back and I hear like classical music and it's like a ballet or, you know, an orchestra at work. It's, it's so amazing to me. And I hope I never lose that, <laughs> that perspective <laughs> of it all. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely prefer to do my work mostly from set. So. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. My, my first job was uh an extra on the lone ranger in colorado okay. and, and utah and it was the same thing when they weren't shooting the extras and they were doing you know the b-side i would just stand there and and watch and before you know it an hour and a half goes by and you just see this organized chaos this living organism mm -hmm. appear of just hundreds of people working together it's just beautiful so that the fact that you get to you know most days work on set doing everything you know from an administrative point but also watching this happen that's just amazing I'm sure it's surreal every single time too absolutely absolutely <laughs> and uh, you know um being on set as well it, it allows you to really engage in, in what's being shot and you hear you know the director note oh that's my favorite this one's this favorite and stuff so going back and watching the dailies or you know the editor's cuts you kind of are like oh I remember that and you can kind of piece together the moment that that happened and what us allowed us to get that performance or that correct lighting and things like that so I'm always trying to factor that into my day-to-day -day experience so you have access to dailies hmm interesting ah <laughs> uh, uh, spoilers no I'm just kidding uh, <laughs> no <laughs> every time I hear somebody that works within the Marvel machine, they, oh yeah, I get to see daily. It's like, ah, la, 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 la. Yeah, just, um, that's, that's just, that's really cool. It's so interesting watching, you know, watching, listening to your story from Australia to Canada to here. I just, I can't even imagine where your career is going to go anywhere, but up essentially from, oh, from the same, cause it, you know, you, you've, approach this from behind the scenes and I think that's very important for you know surviving this industry until you know what it's like to work behind the scenes it you're you're not going to understand the full machine itself uh right. so this is just a long-winded way of me asking with your years of experience and working on these fun projects working with with James and Spencer do you have what we call a party story uh so this I'm sure you, you heard Spencer's but uh, you know, essentially a story you would share at a party that just stuck out so much. You can't help but just have it ready to go for, you know, when you're having cocktails with a friend or you're, you know, just meeting somebody new and you have something really funny or maybe completely disheartening to share. Uh, <laughs> that's the beauty of party stories, everybody, is it could be absolutely anything. Uh, do you have um, anything of, uh, of that nature? You know, because the last few years have been such a whirlwind, I oh, feel yeah. like the entirety, entirety of it is in itself a party story. Um, and it's going to make an, a, a great autobiography one day <laughs> if I get to that point. <laughs> um, but, you know, the thing that sticks out to me the most is actually uh, a story from when I was shooting, I was producing a tourism campaign back in Australia. So this, I think because everything is so fresh and raw to me, this is Ooh. something that I, I can reminisce on. 
Um, but we were a tiny crew and uh, it, was a, it was a tourism campaign for the Australian government and we're out in the outback. And I grew up on the, you know, on the coast on of the Australia. Coast. <laughs> this was my real first time experiencing those conditions and it was the peak of summer. And, uh, you know, I looked the part, I had the cork hat on and, and, you know, I kind of looked a bit like, you know, Steve or Bindi Irwin in a sense, but there is a lot of purpose to those, to those outfits. It's not just for the look, it, it keeps you alive. And I learned that firsthand because we were out by a billabong in the desert, like in the outback. Um, and a billabong for non-Australians is like a, a large body of water, um, kind of like an oasis, but not as beautiful. And uh, we had rented this, um, this ute, this truck to take us out to this billabong. And it was on this property that was super vast and it was a, a long time getting out there. And so we're finally out there and we're there all day trying to get this shot of these like uh, really rare, beautiful native Australian birds flying over the billabong. And because it was such a small crew, I was the only one who was kind of available to run like around this billabong trying to get the birds in flight to go up and over to get this amazing shot. And so I'm dying. It's, I don't know what it is in uh, Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. 120 degrees, maybe something along those lines. It was unbelievable. So I'm running and running and running and like, no, you know, reset back to one, let's go again. And so by the end of it, we're all just drenched, dying in sweat. And uh, we, we start loading the equipment back up into the car and we start the car. And I think because it was so hot, it just won't start. And so we're like, okay, what are we going to do? We start looking around, you know, and uh, I noticed there's crocodile skeletons everywhere. So this billabong is infested with crocodiles. There's no meals for them within miles. So I start kind of panicking a little bit and uh, we couldn't do anything. So we started like measuring each other's legs going, okay, who's going to get the furthest if some one of us goes seeks help, um, you know, who's willing to volunteer and we ended up just laying under the uh, the bottom of the car there, trying to protect our our faces from the sun. And it was so hot, you know, our water was gone. Our Gatorade had fermented. <laughs> we were like, "This is it. This is how we go." I mean, at least uh, at least we died doing something we love. And uh, you know, the boys were sort of lining up their cigarettes, just <laughs> laying under there, just waiting for you know, help. Eventually the property owner came looking for us because we were gone for so many hours and, and saved us. But that was an experience, a true Australian experience as well, um, that I will forever remember as, a, you know, the, the dangers of having a love for this industry is getting in situations like that sometimes. I love that it was for a tourism project too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> come to australia just not this part yeah or just make sure you know you're with a company that service works in those regions oh my god yeah i and you i had definitely learned something i had no idea that there was such a thing you know called the billabong i thought it was just a a clothing company or whatever that was in the early 2000s i had no idea wow yeah oh my god it was crazy did you see any any actual crocodiles though, or were you not yeah. on that location? Okay. Um, but many other locations we shot, um, we were in just like little tinnies, um, which are lo- those little metal boats, and uh, there was crocs, you know, going past us and things like that. And when people say to me all the time, you know, over here in the states, they're like, "Oh, it's really so scary." I'm like, "No, it's not that bad." But then I remember those <laughs> those experiences. I'm like, "Yeah, it can be in in certain areas for sure." Um, but yeah, we, we saw a lot of crocodiles and the locals would often say, oh, they're just uh, freshies, don't worry about it. And I was like, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between a freshie and a salty? And they're like, well, a salty will you know, eat you, whereas a, a freshie will just kind of nibble at you. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes it so much better, great. Um, but yeah, you know, in contrast to my life over here, you know, working on Peacemaker, we were filming in freezing temperatures, all night shoots at one point. Um, you know, I'd be bunkered down in the bottom of, you know, the peacemaker car. And John would be like, you good kid? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, good John. Like, so, <laughs> you know, I, I've lived many lives through this industry. We, we shot in um, a few mental asylums and abandoned hotels with mafia stories. So it's always, it's always an adventure, which I love. 
that is, yeah, that is the beauty of this very nomadic industry, (laughs) especially if it's a very cheap location, you have to ask, okay, well, what happened in the last 10 to 20 years (laughs) (laughs) that it is so cheap? Can I have a safety report, please? Thank you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I think at the very least of your worries would be asbestos. Outside of that, it just keeps going up and up and up. Uh, That is a crazy party story, too. (laughs) <laughs> I I don't know. We we get a lot of party stories where it's interacting with a celebrity or uh <laughs> you know just just something a little more uh uh held in civilization, but that okay. is out in nature. Yeah, maybe somebody will help out. If not, this is the way we go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> uh with you know the many lives you've lived in this industry and you know just the the stories you're going to keep accruing and experiences are going to keep occurring for the rest of your career. Do you have any piece of advice that maybe somebody gave you that you've held on to? Maybe something that you've just come up with on your own that you'd like to instill on our listeners? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I've, uh, I knew there wasn't a straight path for me to get where I needed to go. Um, so I had to be okay with and open myself up to, you know, being a, an event coordinator for a modeling agency or being a content producer for a production company, um, you know, or being a locations PA in Canada when, you know, because I'm a non-permanent resident um, with the union and things like that, sometimes I wouldn't be able to get a permit. So I would have to uh, go back into a PAing position. And I think the the thing that I have, um, the piece of advice that I would pass on would be that no matter what position you hold, um, treat it and admire it for what it is and, and value how important that is to getting you to where you need to be. You know, even if you're the PA who shows up every day and has to change the bins first thing in the morning and the bins, uh, you know, at wrap, that's something that I've had to do. And I made sure I did the best job at it I possibly could. I made sure that the bins were always empty. And then it comes back up to you know the the high level positions where you're an associate producer or a talent liaison and uh, making sure that everyone is comfortable that you know you double check everything you've scheduled um, or when it comes to the writing like just take as much pride in whatever position it is um, that you're currently doing and trust that it is an important step on where you need to go. Yeah. And in doing that, that's what ultimately helped me get recognized is that I took my jobs always super seriously. And I'm a hard worker. I like to joke around. I like to have fun. And um, I love, you know, creating families on set. Um, but I, I never let that uh, uh, cloud how important my jobs were to the production. And just looking at production as an organism in itself, you know, try not to be so close-minded. It's like, oh, well, all I have to do is do this. And if I don't do that, it doesn't really matter. It's not true. Those jobs are there for a reason and um, always have the efficiency and um, quality of production as the forefront goal in your mind for day-to-day work. And um, ultimately, you'll be recognized as a hard worker and someone who cares about their job. And that's what's really helped me. Wow. And it it shows with your with your resume and then just talking to you as well. I know I, I've seen them. I know you've seen them. There, there are PAs that get into this because they think, oh, I'm going to, to get into a writer's room or I'm going to become a director. And they don't show their, or actually any love for mm-hmm. what they're doing day one. And that's an immediate red flag. Yeah. So I mean, it's easy to get complacent or, or disheartened because of sometimes the hours and, and the work conditions. Yeah. Um, and you feel like sometimes, you know, you, it doesn't matter if you're there, someone could just do that job. Make sure that you are irreplaceable by being, you know, dedicated and motivated as much as possible. Um, and also something that I learned is uh, I once had an AD pull me aside and they said, you know, how did, how well did you do today? And I was like, oh, you know, there was so much more I could have improved on. And they said, oh, it's funny because I was actually going to say, you know, you did a really fantastic job and I really admire how you work and I, I want to bring you on to the next project. And I was like, really? And they said, yeah, but, you know, sometimes keeping that humility and that mindset of like not being hard on yourself to the point it's detrimental, but always thinking, what can I do better tomorrow? Um, Even if you've had a tough day, try and start the day with that mindset. And um, ultimately, 
that'll allow you to never get complacent and keep moving up quickly. Yeah. That, <laughs> how many times have you had to tell yourself on like a non-union shoot? I'll be okay. I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll run through it tomorrow. I'm going to work my ass off. Yeah. Oh my God. God. There's been some, you know, MOW experiences where you're, you're the, the set deck. You're, you're the, uh, you're, you know, the grip. You're all of these different roles because the situation just calls for it. Yeah. And you're jumping off, you know, stages and you're doing this. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's, you just got to look at it as like, oh man, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, yeah. this is the office and, uh, and I'm going to get where I need to be. And if it's really a, a terrible day, a shitty day, like I said earlier, it's going to be great in the autobiography. Yeah. That always helps as well. Oh yeah. It, any day on set is better than any day in an office. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> Even if it's 20 hours. Exactly. Uh, this is also something really interesting. I, I'm curious we like to promote, you know, our guests projects or something they're really passionate about for their episode. Is there anything in particular that you'd like for us to promote? Um, I would just ultimately uh, recommend to, um, you know, if you haven't already, check out Peacemaker. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so uh, good, guys. A little, tiny little small project uh, that we've just completed on HBO Max. Um, no, that show honestly changed my life. And, uh, you know, to share that humor, we were always laughing on that set uh, throughout production. So hopefully it can bring a little light into people's lives. But also, um, you know, keep an eye out for some projects I have in development. One is called Liberated, which I'm really excited about. Um, so hopefully that will, you know, pop up eventually on your screens. So if you see it, be sure to give it a watch. Oh, that's perfect. And uh, we... I needed to ask more writers this. We had uh, one of the writers from It's Always Sunny come on the show a few months ago, and she she gave a shout out to her local coffee shop. So if you are a coffee fan uh, or a tea fan, is there a coffee shop near you, um, or uh, maybe not even near you, a coffee shop you really enjoy that you'd like to promote? Yes. Uh, I live in Atlanta currently, and there is a coffee shop that is my go-to on a Saturday morning to start my weekend. And that's called The Drip, which Ooh. is, uh, it's uh, kind of like an East, East Atlanta. It's a uh, fantastic, great vibes. Always people in there, you know, shooting content or writing scripts. Like it seems to be like quite a little industry hotspot. Um, and then shout out to my coffee girls um, at our studio as well. I can't say their names or where it is, but uh, if you're listening, thank you for getting us through this tough day. <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely going to visit the drip. I'm going to Atlanta, um, oh my God, in July uh, okay. to just do some networking stuff. So I'm definitely going to check out that coffee shop and, uh, you know, Hopefully it's just as great as you say it is. <laughs> well, Australians are quite particular with their coffee. So um, <laughs> it's, it's one of the oh, best really? places I've, I've had in the, well, in, in the US in general so far. So hopefully oh, it lives up to your expectations. <laughs> My expectations are very low. I love diner coffee. So anything outside of that, I'm like, oh, it's perfect. Is there anywhere in Colorado you could recommend? Ooh, uh, so there is a very wonderful company that is local to my area called Allegro Coffee Shop, and it's uh, sort of in northern Colorado. They have a few different distribution houses, but they have this, uh, oh my god, what's the full name of it? It's an espresso blend that I'll oh, use, wow. so I was up till three or four writing last night uh, because we're submitting for something. And I had a full pot of that. I felt great. And I slept right afterwards. So, you know, it doesn't make you shake. It's just, and it tastes amazing. Uh, so that's definitely, you know, something. I'll, I'll ship you a, a bag of coffee beans. Um, right, I'll link you to this water bottle. <laughs> it's, is that a gallon? It is. It is a gallon. Okay. All right. I was about to say, because for a second, it looked a little larger than a gallon. I don't know why she needs it, but it's an Australian thing, maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> this I, is a, I usually drink a gallon of coffee a day, so I'm trying to like substitute that for water, <laughs> you know, be a little healthier. It's, it's like one part coffee, two parts water. I'm sure you're you're as purified as anybody else could be. Uh, I I had so much fun talking to you. This is this has been great. We're gonna do a few things before we end the episode or end the recording. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
but I did just want to say thank you for, for giving your time. I think it's just really awesome. People are willing to do this, especially, you know, everybody from the peacemaker job, like Spencer was amazing. You've been amazing. Uh, I just can't even imagine who we'll talk to next, but uh, I do need to thank our listeners for listening to this episode and, or, uh, you know, watching the video. If we keep doing the YouTube thing, I don't, I don't know. I'm, my hair's not set for that, for this recording, but we'll see. Uh, If you enjoy this podcast, please let us know, share uh, your review, give us five stars on Apple podcasts, and then send us an email to pwrp.pod at gmail.com. And we will send you a thank you card and a sticker for your trouble and for your loyalty. Uh, And Natasha, you're also getting a thank you card and a sticker if you'd like. Uh, I (laughs) Spencer was all about it. And then he never (laughs) sent me his address. So I said, all right, all right, fine, fine. I'll, I'll email you in a couple months and see what happens. Um, I can follow up for that as well if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a couple of them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, oh my God, what else? Sorry, my, my co-host isn't here. So I'm trying to figure out what else the rest of the spiel is. Aha! Oh, if you would also like to be on this podcast, whether you're somebody who works in the arts industry or someone who is really interested in it and maybe wants to get in, we'd love to talk to you as well. Uh, send us an email at the same address pwrp.pod at gmail.com and we'll get back to you right away now miss natasha the last thing i need from you is an awkward goodbye which i'm sure you may have listened to with spencer's episode (laughs) so i'll do a silent uh wayne's world countdown and when i point give us your most awkward verbal goodbye (laughs) it's uh it's always a lot of fun trying this out to see who does what so if you're ready i'm gonna start uh okay all right <laughs> <laughs> no one no one's ever ready for purposely being awkward all right in <laughs> uh, well thank you everyone for listening and uh i hope to see you again soon